This morning we continue our series in, on the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. And uh, this is part three, Friends Indeed. And uh, we're looking at three chapters from chapters 18 to 20. But don't worry, there are only selected passages from all of those chapters. A few, a few years ago, people started talking about friends inflation. What does that mean? Let me explain. This was before uh, social media was popularised, when people could have thousands of friends online. Now, as a result of the, this, the, the definition of friendship, the, the whole concept of friendship has been broadened, equating acquaintances, people you know, with friends. So the definition of friends becomes so diluted that it has become rather shallow. And one of the greatest problems in society and also in the church is a lack of genuine committed friendships. A fellow once said, oh yeah, uh, Joe and I are great friends, we grew up together. There is nothing I would not do for Joe and there is nothing he would not do for me. In fact, for 40 years we have done nothing for each other. (laughs) So, it would be good. It would be good for us to take stock and have a look at at what a true friendship involves and consider how we can develop this type of relationships in our lives and in the church. So, we're going to take some lessons from the life of David and and Jonathan and see what the Lord wants us to learn from this. So, first of all, friends protect, from chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. Friends protect. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Last week we saw the encounter between David and Goliath. And after David killed Goliath, life would never be the same again for him. The little-known shepherd is now a celebrity. He's all over the newspapers. Everybody wants to talk to him. But a boy from the bush, suddenly in the spotlight, he's hitting the big time and he needed someone to help him to walk him through this transition. In steps Prince Jonathan, who becomes one in spirit with David. Last week we saw how before the battle, Saul, King Saul, offers David his gear and he feels uncomfortable, it just doesn't fit, so he returns it. Thank you, but no thanks. But now, Jonathan's gear is perfect, it's a good fit. 
But more than that, he loved him as himself. This is clearly a, a very deep friendship to the extent that some suggest that it was a homosexual relationship. But, of course, that is absolute garbage. I think it's a, it's a sign of a sick society uh, which tends to sexualize almost every relationship. Now, the kings obviously want, in whatever type of king you are, history tells us that kings want all the accolades directed to them and we can't have anybody singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So in comes this giant, this giant killer who is sucking all the oxygen from, from Saul, right? So Saul has it in for him. And Jonathan defends and seeks to protect David from Saul by trying to convince him, his father, that David is really not an enemy. And then in chapter 20, David pleads before Jonathan uh, in the first verse, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? But Saul is obviously jealous of David's successes. And Saul works out different plans. I'll give him my eldest daughter. And then I'll give him another daughter. That doesn't work out. I'll give him another daughter. And then I'll send him to, to the front of the battle, to these difficult battles, have him killed. But whatever challenge David has in front of him, he just succeeds. And Jonathan is determined to help David so he could develop a plan to protect him from his own father. In chapter 20, we see how after a couple of absences from, from the king's table, Saul becomes suspicious about David's whereabouts. So he asks Jonathan where he is. And in verse 28, Jonathan claims that he has given David permission to go to Bethlehem and visit his family. And then that was, that was enough for Saul's anger to flare up at Jonathan. And this is what he says to him in verses 30 to 32. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on his earth, neither you nor the kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Now, let's be honest. There are shorter insults in the English language Saul could have used to describe Jonathan's mother, which just happens to be Saul's wife. You know those words. Can't use them from the pulpit. Jonathan pleads for David, but to no avail. As a result, Jonathan decides it is time to warn David. He goes out to the field where David is, shoots an arrow, and according to its location, it is a signal for David to flee. Friends, 
are needed in most times, but when we need to look after each other, that's when friendship really comes into its own, doesn't it? True friends. True friends don't say things behind people's back, compromise their position. When something is said in confidence, they hold it in confidence. They, go and, they don't go and spread stuff everywhere. Friends protect each other's dignity. And if the point should come in the future for us as Christians that we need to protect each other's lives, that is what we will do. That's what friends do. A few years ago, a British publication offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. And many, many submissions were made. Many good ones. But the winning definition went like this. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. It's good enough. We all need friends like that. Secondly, friends care. Chapter 20, verse 4. This is what, this is what it says. It says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Just tell me. I'll do it. Jonathan and David had a friendship that was not based on what they could do for each other. That wasn't the basis. Oh, they, they did many things for each other. But that wasn't the foundation of their friendship. Consider Prince Jonathan, the son of King Saul, the most powerful family in all of Israel. His father sees David as a threat to his dynasty. Dynasties continue between from father to son to grandson. It continues. That is how dynasties work. Royalty, monarchy. And Jonathan probably knows by this stage that David has been anointed by Samuel as the next king. In any other setting, in any other circumstance, David was Jonathan's competition for the throne. If Jonathan was concerned about self-interest, the last thing he would want to do is help David. But verse 33, we read how Saul, who had previously tried to spear David, to pin him against the wall, gets so angry that he throws a spear at his own son who is trying to defend and protect David. What is the basis of their friendship? Love. They love each other. They care about each other. They care about what's good for the other person, not for themselves. There's a lesson here, and it's very important. Many times people want a friendship because because of what they can get from it. It is often said that success in life depends not on on what you know, but on who you know. 
There are folks trying to get to know the right people. They try to develop friendships or be seen with those who are rich, powerful, popular, influential. You know, for Facebook, right? In the business world, you know what I'm talking about, in the business world and even in the church, people talk about that word networking. Focusing upon the personal benefits of these relationships. The focus is on developing relationships from which I can benefit. So when you use that word networking, let's be careful in what context. What does it actually mean? One fellow highlighted this when he said, I have friends I have not even used yet. And then when people catch on, the level of care drops. When we have no further use for them, right? There's no further use. Level of care drops and what happens? Loneliness sets in. And that feeling sinks in and says, you know what? I've just been used. It's very sad. Even the Apostle Paul reflected on this age-old problem of loneliness uh, when he wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. At my first defence, he said, no one stood with me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be charged against them. These are, these are deep words. Yeah? A lot of feeling. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me even when he was alone. And I've spoken about this before, but it has to be said again. Loneliness, loneliness is a growing problem in our society. Very big. Great Britain appointed a minister for loneliness in order to arrest the problem. This is a, some years ago now. Now Japan has followed suit because of the problem of loneliness and more, more seriously the problem of suicide rates continue to spike. And this is not just the old people. Young people are increasingly lonely. Remember? Friends everywhere on Facebook, everywhere else, but when it comes to really friends you can count upon, they're nowhere to be seen. You're alone. And, and this problem of loneliness is even before COVID was on the scene, which simply exacerbated the problem with lockdowns and isolation and social distancing. Now, to point out how lonely people can be, Charles um, Swindoll a few years ago mentioned in, in his book, he mentioned an ad in a, in a Kansas, Kansas, in the state of Kansas newspaper. It read like this, he says, this is what the ad read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. And Swindoll then uh, commented, sounds like a hoax, doesn't it? But the person was serious. 
It wasn't long before this individual was receiving 10 to 20 calls a day. The pain of loneliness was so sharp that some were willing to try anything for half an hour of companionship, end of quote. The Lord has called us into a community of faith called the church. Brothers and sisters, a spiritual family. And not all brothers and sisters are friends, not even within the physical families, right? Let alone in the church. But we have to break those, those barriers and, 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 and live up to that which we are called to be. And the friendships here perhaps don't make a lot of sense to the people out there, to the sociologists and those who say that people of certain education and certain calibres and certain power all tend to congregate together. But here, all those power structures have to be broken down. All those racial differences have to be broken down because we are called to be a family and that is what we have to be. We come together for no other reason than to belong to the body of Christ in love. Paul said this to the Romans in chapter 13 verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Why? For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Love is a debt that we continually owe each other because we are loved by God. And we have this obligation to pass that love on to others. The love from God has to be spread. Constantly in the epistles you hear this word, one another, one another, one another. Thirdly, friends are honest. Chapter 20, verses 8 to 9. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? Good friends trust each other enough to disclose what is going on in their life. Yes, David expresses his concern about what Saul is trying to do and Jonathan responds by reassuring him, yes, of course I would tell you that we're honest to each other. Each of them knew what, that, you know, that, that, that some of the things that they shared could give an opportunity of their whereabouts and so they were vulnerable if they didn't trust because all that Jonathan had to do is says, look, Dad, that's where David is. That's where you can find him. There is vulnerability in disclosure, isn't there? Trust. Being honest with one another. We really can't develop close friendships, folks, unless we are honest. The longer we keep the mask on, 
the longer that we keep the pretense, pretending something we are not, as long as we keep the tough shell on the outside that doesn't let anybody else in, it'll be hard. It'll be hard to break through. The lonelier you are going to feel. Now, in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the friends that I have, who I know are honest. I can be honest with them and they are honest with me. They tell me what is happening in their life and they will tell me what they see in my life. They are people who hold me accountable. We don't need lots of friends. I know that sounds a bit harsh. But to keep us sane, we need need at least one friend. Two, three. But don't get to the point that you have that many friends that it's diluted to the point that friendships become meaningless, is what I'm getting at. We all need at least one friend who can lovingly tell us perhaps that we are being stubborn, that we are being selfish or arrogant. And when they say those painful things, don't end the friendship, don't be offended, but perhaps do what really happens these days and respond with, thank you, I know you said that only because you care about me and you care about our friendship. How's that? But that goes against the cancel culture, doesn't it? Where we just, that's it, you're gone. Sorry, Elizabeth, I'm never going to talk to you again. Those are relationships which matter. But it only happens when people are honest with each other. Let me ask you, do you have that type of honest relationships, those honest friends that you can fully trust? And you will not have those type of friendships unless there is honesty. Fourthly, friends commit. Chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendships, friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. A true friend is someone who is loyal both in the good and the bad times. And that is the kind of friendship that Jonathan and David had. Now, like we said before, at this time, all the advantages were with Prince Jonathan, but soon, soon that journey will come to a tragic end. But this pledge, this covenant that they made with each other, takes them beyond their lifetime. And that's commitment. That's long-lasting Many years later, David is already in the castle, in the palace. He is king by this time and he remembers this promise to his now deceased friend, Jonathan. 
So he decides, he puts out a search party, he makes inquiries to seek out any surviving descendants from Saul's line, specifically Jonathan. Eventually he finds Jonathan's crippled son Mephibosheth in in 2 Samuel chapter 9, who had been hidden for fear of retribution because when one dynasty is established, they tend to wipe out the other one. But that didn't happen. But the fear was there. David, however, is is overjoyed when this crippled son of, of Jonathan is found that he moves heaven and earth. No, 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 bring him in, bring him in. And he eats at the king's table from that point on. Restored at the king's table. Having friends you can count on who will stick by you no matter what the situation are, real treasures, aren't they? There's a story of a battle in, in Vietnam. A soldier was wounded and could not get back to, be put back to safety. So his buddy went out to get him against the sergeant's orders. He returned seriously wounded and the friend who he had carried on his back was dead. And the sergeant yelled in anger and says, I told you not to go. It was not worth it. And the wounded soldier replied, but it was, sir, because when I got to him, he said, I knew you would come. It's great to have friends who we know will come when we need them, no matter the cost. Again, if we are to have an audit of our friendships, what are they based on? Are they based on convenience? Or like Jonathan and David, are they based on care, loyalty, commitment, irrespective of the cost? Lastly, Best friendships have a common Christian foundation from chapter 20, verses 13 to 15. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Notice something in this expression. They, they, they didn't just tack God into the conversation to make it sound more religious, right? No, they actually meant it. David and Jonathan's friendship was special because they had a common faith in the living God. This was the key ingredient to their commitment for each other. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another... For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He is the source. He is the fountain of love. Our experience of God's love should help us to be a true friend. Thus, it is no surprise that the best friends are those of the Christian faith. That we can share our faith with them that we can fully disclose our walk with the Lord with them. How are we going? Yes, we can have many friends who are not Christians, 
but we should consider them a mission field to pray for them and seek to share the good news with them. Over the years I have had many friends who were not Christians. Some of these faded away, but others have remained. They know who I am, what I do. I've shared my faith with them. And even if they don't want to follow the God that I follow, I still consider them as friends. Sadly, some of them were once Christian friends who have now walked away from the Christian faith. And that has somehow affected our relationship as well because we simply can't talk about the same things that we once shared. Maybe you've had the same experience. Having said all that, as a follower of Jesus Christ, my best friends will also be followers of Christ. If, my, if, if the most important thing in my, in my life is to love and obey the Lord, then that has to affect my friendships as well. Good Christian friends share things to pray for and share what they are learning from God's word with each other. They spur each other on. We should be able to go to a Christian friend and tell them we are concerned about something wrong in their lives and they should have the freedom to come and tell me what they see in my life, as I've said before. We ought to confront a friend when we believe in that their priorities has changed or out of line. Like David and Jonathan, we need to have friendships with a spiritual foundation, not to destroy each other, but to build each other up. Brothers and sisters, build friendships where you are encouraging one another in your faith, where you take time to discuss God's word, the journey of faith. Build on a spiritual foundation and you will have the best friendships for which you could ever hope. Now, maybe some of you have been a little bit discouraged this whole time as you listen today. You are thinking, I don't have any real friends. Well, just asking you to go out there and demonstrate the love of Christ to other people. Remove the shells and you might be surprised at what you might find. To find true friends. But the great news is that even if you don't have one friend on this planet, you can still have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who loves us, a friend who will never leave us or forsake us. And if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, he no longer considers us just as his servants, but also as a friend. And if Jesus is our friend, he will always be there for us. Not just this life, but in the next. And even when it comes time to die, we can count on him to bring us safely to our eternal home and then on the other side welcome us with open arms. He is the one friend we really need. Not just in the next life, but certainly in this one. And he wants us to share that love 
with others. May the Lord help us to be good friends. Brothers and sisters, amen.